In this episode, we get to speak with the VP of Design Education at Envision App Inc., co-host of the Design Better podcast, speaker, author, Aaron Walter. Designing for Emotion and the Journey Up the Ladder. Welcome to Thunder Nerds. I'm Brian Hinton. I'm Frederick Philip Von Weiss, and thank you for consuming the Thunder Nerds, a conversation with the people behind the technology that love what they do. And do tech good. Great. No, we're doing tech great today, great Brian. Tech. Good. Uh, we did a little bit better than good. Day. Yeah, well, that's true, but today we're doing it great. And hey, who does on, tech great? I, Brian, I'm getting to that. Pantheon <laughs> is helping us do tech great all year long pantheon thank you for being our sponsor for this season pantheon is a platform for wordpress drupal 7 drupal 8 they provide you with a test dev and live environment they have automated backups super cool software check it out at pantheon.io thank you so much pantheon brian just uh, for our audio listeners i'm muting myself here and there and if there's a slight delay it's because my partner in life is baking away she has four cakes She's baking tonight, so I'm trying to keep the uh, ambient noise down. Um, I can smell it from here. Yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, Frederick's uh, drools over it every time I send him pictures. But every time, uh, yeah. So, uh, our anyone that's listening to the show, uh, please make sure to subscribe if it's your first time. Uh, leave us a comment on YouTube. Uh, leave us a review on iTunes. We love hearing what you have to say. And uh, yeah. and who do we have on the show today, Frederick? Brian, we have an amazing guest. As I said, we're doing tech great today. We have, let me read this perfectly correct. Uh, we have VP of Design Education at Envision App, co-host of the Design Better podcast, speaker, author, Aaron Walter. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, yes, it's welcome. truly our honor. We're uh, really excited to have you. We want, you know, we wanted to talk to you um, last time that we connected was at the, uh, and I briefly had a chance to say hi to you at the event apart in Orlando. But that's right, I, You're I know, at Disney World. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, at the good old Mickey Palace. But you know, everybody was super busy. But I'm so yeah. glad that that uh, we were able to finally hook up and have you on the show. Oh yeah, my did, pleasure. Did you get to uh, partake of the uh, Disney? Uh experience while you're there we did yeah it was uh my youngest son's birthday and oh. it was disney world so yeah we went and we we did it all and uh we'll probably end up going back now that they have the whole star wars scene coming oh, together yeah. uh, i'm pretty yeah. excited about that so how many kids oh, you have two right i've got two boys a five-year-old and a nine-year-old and they're just oh. pure pure energy <laughs> you're a busy man <laughs> yes yeah. yes I have a uh, I have a four and a half year old, and I, I know what boys are like. So yeah, it's like go go go. Let's play with cars, and yeah. So so an amusement park, I, I'm sure we're going to yeah. be doing that in October for uh, going to Disneyland ourselves. So I'm excited about that. It's going to be his first time. Cool, that'll be fun. Yeah. Where are you actually at right now? You're in Atlanta, from my understanding. No, I'm broadcasting live from Athens, Georgia. Um, is the home of the University of Georgia, and uh, 
those of those of your listeners who have been around uh, a couple years might remember REM. Um, oh yeah, they're from here, yeah. and I see I see Michael Stipe around all the time. Um, oh, do you of really? Montreal. Um, yep. Oh yep. really? Of Montreal or from I, here. I, uh, I, I see them every year. Every year we see of Montreal. I love them so much. Yeah, Kevin Kevin Barnes is my neighbor. What? Oh, that's yeah. so cool. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So I imagine you've been to a lot of their shows and REM. You know, I've been to I've been to two REM shows. I think uh, I have been to the Love Shack before they tore it down. Uh, a friend of mine used to live in the Love Shack, uh, but I've never seen of Montreal. I just I see Kevin and I chat with him out in the front yard when we're playing baseball. They are quite an experience. I recommend everyone should see them if you can once because they put yeah. on a very costume <laughs> performance that is just pretty amazing uh yeah we'll, we'll, we'll put a yeah. link in the show notes too yeah favorite, so you, favorite sorry favorite rem song um so right now because it's summertime it's a little cliche but night swimming because uh we have a pool and i like to go out there at night bats come out the tree frogs like to sit on the edge of the pool and cross talk and yeah. uh we, we play a little rem that's cool nice that's, that sounds nice and dreamy i like that um do you do you go up to uh the the parks north of you, do you go to Tulip Gorge at all and go hiking up there? You're pretty close. We, yeah, we've been up there a few times. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Beautiful. We go up there all, all the time. Usually once a year we end up at Tulip Falls. It's pretty beautiful up there. Yeah. Yeah. Are you actually uh, from Athens or you're from somewhere else? <clears throat> now I grew up in the Midwest. So I, I, I grew up in Iowa um, huh. and then we moved to Nebraska. Uh, to Kearney, Nebraska, which is like smack in the middle of nowhere. It's uh, wow. it's there because there was a fort. Um, and so if you were coming west in the 1800s, uh, this was your safe place to kind of like get some protection, get some provisions, and then keep on going west. And people might know Carl Junction, even though it's so tiny, uh, because it keeps getting wiped off the map by tornadoes the past couple years. Um, oh it's It's been hit multiple times. And Joplin, of course, got decimated too. So. So it's Tornado Alley. And then back, moved back to Iowa and Philadelphia. And I lived in Berlin and Rome for a little while. So around. Oh, that's cool. So do you, uh, do you speak any of the languages? You know, meaning um, Berlin and, and uh, I'm sorry, where was the other place you said? Rome, Rome. Italy. So I, I used to be mildly functional <laughs> in, in Rome. Uh, and I was functional in German. It's starting to get a little rough, though. Yeah, that's cool. So what? So what brought you then to Athens? Uh, my wife and I we lived in Philadelphia, and kind of a rough patch in the city's history. That um, there's there's a lot of crime and corruption, and we're just ready for a new scene. Uh, we went to grad school there, and uh, my wife, one of her undergrad degrees is from the University of Georgia, and uh, so she knew the town. I'd never been to the South. I just thought, hey. I, I like this girl. I'm going to follow her wherever she goes. So uh, I'll try out. I'll try out Athens, and it's actually the longest I've ever been in one place. I've been here since 2000. Oh wow. Okay. Oh yeah. So you've been there for a while. If I could do some quick math, I'd say you've been there for 19 years. Ooh, you are good. <laughs> I math good. <laughs> That's cool. So um, why don't we talk a little bit about your career? Um, from my understanding, and because I read uh, <laughs> about your career on LinkedIn, 
<laughs> you started off as a web designer, as uh, I think a I lot did. of us did. Uh, yeah. You started off in 1999 and you did, you know, you went the path from web designer, graphic designer, UX, director of UX and, and so forth. Do you mind taking us down that journey and, yeah, and yeah. how that all kind of uh, assembled for you? Yeah, my career actually started with CD-ROMs, not the web. Uh, I learned director. Oh, yeah. director. Director Lingo. Yeah. Lingo, man. I was I was a Lingo pro. Um, man, I loved director. It was so powerful. And you could do, I mean, you could reformat someone's hard drive with that. Um, yeah. It was so great. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, I was in grad school. I studied painting. My undergrad and grad degrees are in painting. So I really, like, I don't have a background in technology. I don't have a background in design. Um, but um, a lot of people in the web space that are about my age, they have a similar story where they started from maybe library sciences or just something kind of adjacent, biology. And they just found their way in because they were doing a little bit of programming or just kind of poking around, which is what I was doing. I was basically prototyping my paintings um, so I could make my paintings faster. I was doing that with Photoshop. And then those images became really interesting. And so I wanted to animate them and bring them to life. And that's how I got into director. And then I started learning lingo and then After Effects. And uh, it was a slippery slope um, in a nutshell. And by the time I finished grad school um, at Tyler School of Art, Temple University, um, the professors there you know, in the 90s, they were like, you're pretty much the only person we know who is an artist who is also proficient with a computer. Uh, could you please teach other grad students how to to combine these two things? And so I started to do that. And uh, I, I was making these crazy CD-ROMs, which are kind of like, I don't know, subversive art. And that landed me a job with a, a little agency where we were doing work for David Bowie and um, that band Hanson. You know that, that band Mbop, oh, yeah. those guys? Oh, yeah, the, the three kids. <clears throat> Yeah, they call. I mean, they called our studio all the time, uh, and we would chat with them on the phone about about their website and stuff we were doing for them. They have uh, a brewery now. Is that right? Brewery. Yeah, yeah. Wow. It's very that, interesting. That's cool. That is cool. I I like adaptability. <laughs> um, we all change. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So anyway, um, I kind of found my way into this this line of business organically, but. You know, teaching was always uh, an important part, like that that beginning piece where I was teaching and also working at an agency. So I was doing work professionally and teaching. That's always been a bit of a flywheel for me where I get mastery by teaching another person something and then having this creative green field to explore. Um, I learn new things and then I bring that back into the classroom. So that I think that that's probably a narrative I could, you know, that's that's still happening in my career today. Yeah, it's it's very interesting how you took that, you know, that artist journey, web designer doing uh, After Effects when a lot of people weren't using After Effects back then, and then uh, taking that teaching element really as a, it's it's really what you do now, and I think it that contributed to probably a lot of what you did at Mailchimp as well, right? Yeah. Um, so one thing I will say about a creative education, studying painting, it's all like metaphor and concepts um, and just kind of connecting a lot of disconnected things. And I find that that's a lot of what product design is. 
there's there's a lot of that stuff. So all of those things helped me. I definitely learned a lot uh, on the job, but um, yeah, it was a fun ride. Yeah, I imagine that's so cool. So were were you like a uh, like a full time professor? Or were you like an adjunct professor? What, what did that look like? I was um, so I was both. Um, I taught okay. full time at the Art Institute of Atlanta. Um, I also taught adjunct at the University of Georgia. And then I did some study abroad programs with my students um, where we went to Berlin, um, we went to Stockholm, we went to Helsinki. Um, we did this great study abroad program where we got to, um, it was based out of Berlin and we went to CERN into Atlas, the, uh, the particle oh, accelerator. Really? You got to go see that? We did. Wow, we, that's so cool. We just asked and they took us into Atlas and um, yeah, it was a pretty amazing experience, but um, so yes, I was teaching, and uh, and then um, Ben Chestnut, co-founder and CEO of, of Mailchimp, was a guest speaker in one of my classes on a regular basis. And I was writing my first book, and uh, wanted to feature Mailchimp in it. And so mm -hmm. I called him up and I said, "Hey, I want to swing by and interview you guys about this." And he said, "Okay, well, let's talk about that, but let's also just talk about you joining the company because um, you're you're kind of a super fan." Um, and so, I, yeah, I joined as the, the first design hire outside. Ben, ben is the first designer. He is he's a designer um, still to this day. But um, I was the first designer that he hired. Wow, that's so cool. And wow. now, I mean, you know, look at all the uh, amazing things that you've done over there. Like uh, we could always go into the story of, you know, the old... Uh, High five, yeah. The, yeah, the high five. Oh, sorry, for for audio listeners, I just did the MailChimp high five, which I I I I, <laughs> I, I find that just so amazing because you were able to, and I, I don't know if this was like something that as you were developing and looking at these experiences that users were having, and I, I think in the video that I watched, you said that you've also had this experience when you were using MailChimp where you got to the point where yeah. you're about to send out this email to a massive amount of people and you were yeah. had that having that uh, panic moment and having that relief of you know just freddie giving you the old high five yeah. like a, you know job well done is just such a like oh wow they they get it and yeah i i think that's so cool do you mind jumping into that just a tiny bit yeah yeah um i was a i was a mailchimp user uh since 2005 so i don't remember what my account id was but i remember it was like a pretty early one like it's one of the like first 100 200 or something like that um I, yeah i loved the product i loved that i could see the humans behind the product um i used it a lot for my wife's business and also for freelance clients and stuff um and you know when you're sending an email um you can't suck it back in if you write something and you've got the wrong link there's a typo, we forgot to add something. Um, it, it's out there in the world and you can't suck it back in. So when you go through that process, it's so tedious and you hit send, it's a, it's a sweaty forehead, sweaty palm <laughs> moment and you press send and then you just feel like, you know, it's Miller time. I, I, I so deserve a drink right now because uh, that was hard work. Um, it takes a while to compose a really nice email and make it look great. Uh, so that, you know, having that customer empathy, I think was a valuable thing to have. Um, 
when, when Ben and uh, Dan hired me, um, they had just hired an engineer. So it was me and one engineer, this guy, Chad Morris, who's super bright and creative and also gets design and um, was a delight to work with. And Ben and Dan gave us just unprecedented freedom. Um, we just, we were able to kind of burn down the app and um, it was full of font tags and tables and um, all sorts of things. Uh, I mean, those guys were, were hacking this together as a side project when they you know, uh, were running an agency and they brought us in um, to kind of re-envision what this, this product could be. And it was a big, big leap for them because they were um, going from an agency where they had clients and they could have kept going. That would have been just fine. But they felt like maybe there's something more that they could do that all their clients needed email marketing. Um, and this product seemed to be useful to a lot of people. So they, they took a chance. They took a small business loan and um, they hired both of us. And we didn't really know what the stakes were at that point, but the stakes were pretty high for us to succeed. Um, and Chad, in, in his brilliance, came up with a great um, pricing plan. It wasn't just like great engineering. So he built a stable uh, platform and came up with this great pricing plan. Um, and, uh, and we redesigned the app. And um, it went from like a few thousand customers to when I left, it was, you know, like 15 million or something like that. Wow. That's impressive. It was fun. I love too the uh, all the experiences that um, that that people had from this and where they wrote you and sent you tweets and like you know showing them with the hand up and and uh, you actually made shirts and send it out to people too. Yeah, yeah, we had such a great marketing team too. So uh, so many great designers there, and uh, so if people they're they're not doing this anymore because it, it wouldn't scale. But to this day, if you go to Twitter and you search for Mailchimp High Five, it's just a continuous stream of people, you know, talking about the High Five. Um, pictures of them high-fiving their screen. And in the early days after we launched the animated high-five uh, and people were posting videos on Instagram and various places, we would actually just respond and say, hey, can you send us your address and DM? And we would surprise them with a, a high-five t-shirt, which was cool. It just sort of took that moment, that experience of, I got it done, I feel competent, you know, commemorated that in a shirt that you could wear every day. It's like your lucky shirt. You put it on, you just feel like you're the boss. Yeah, I love that. I think you did such a great job of what you uh, talk about a lot in probably, you know, your most famous book as well is about those deep emotional connections and having that, um, uh, what did you say? The, the Maya Angelou quote where um, I've learned that people will forget what you say. People will forget what you did, but people will never forget how you made them feel. Like that's that's so yeah. on point. Yeah, I think that's a good axiom for design, just reminding us that um, design can be a very powerful thing. Writing can be a very powerful thing. Um, and we have the ability to influence people's lives for the better. Um, if we are thoughtful and careful um, uh, about how we approach that, I think that um, we see kind of the counter arguments of that uh, or, the, or the, the darker side of that these days with certain products that um, manipulate us um, 
you know, to think certain ways or um, react in certain ways. Um, you know, Facebook is getting a lot of that right now. Yeah, that was and, the first thing that came to my mind. Um, yeah, so I mean, we it's it's a it's a great power and um, has to be used carefully. And and I think what's really cool is that you you know you actually outlined this with a, a scientific thing too. It's not just a like uh, you know. A, it's a, a feeling like, oh, you know, this emotions, blah, blah, blah. But it's, it's, it's also you talk about how um, long term memory right. is developed within the limbic system and having that emotional connection and uh, provides that long term memory to be etched into your head. Uh, do, do you mind talking about that a little bit? Yeah. And what, yeah. what the limbic system actually is for people that don't know, I mean, like Brian? So the. <laughs> Brian knows what it is. He has a limbic system that operates on a regular basis. I don't know, I do, but I do. I do. Yeah. <laughs> debatable, but that's another podcast. Uh, I mean, so a, a limbic system is in your brain stem area, like your the lower part of your brain, and it's just a series of organs that um, do a number of things, um, secrete uh, hormones and neurotransmitters and so forth. Um, in a nutshell, the reason why long-term memory and emotion are so closely connected is emotion is is kind of a tool for us to imprint what's uh good and like the best thing for us um and it helps us re remember things that are dangerous too so if you have been through trauma um your limbic system worked over time to imprint a long-term memory to help you remember that thing um and that trauma creates you know, the, it's, you know, like it's the, the stove was hot, basically. The yeah. stove was hot or yeah. you, you were mugged. Let's yes. say that you were mugged and that was really scary. Um, and you were in that, those circumstances that led to that trauma. Uh, you need a long-term memory to prevent that from happening again, because if you are not able to recall that you are not long for the gene pool, you're going to be out of the gene pool quickly. It's, it becomes uh -huh. dangerous. And likewise, if there's a positive thing, so an example that many of us, maybe not all of us can, can uh, identify with is your first kiss, right? You remember that first kiss where you connected with someone and you felt this emotional connection, a physical connection that was just like lighting you up. Um, you're, you remember that in great detail because it's your body saying like, this is a good thing. You probably wanna do this some more. Uh, and, and there's this underlying message of like your body saying your genetic code needs to, you know, be passed on to the next generation. Um, so in a nutshell, uh, long-term memory and emotion, they're so intertwined um, for, for very good reason. And so if we know that, if we know a little bit of the science of how the brain works, and we start to think about how products can create positive experiences. Here, here's another example. Duolingo. Have, have you all ever played with Duolingo? Yeah. Uh, it's a great app if you want to learn another language. Um, it's, I find it super addictive. I'm, I'm going through the Japanese course right now. And it uses a lot of emotional design to like reinforce and encourage. It's like, you've got 11 in a row. That's amazing. And then it uses counters and so forth. So it's always giving you a little uh, shot of a neurotransmitter that is, you know, giving you a little pick me up and that keeps you going. That creates this stickiness for their product, which you want if you're on a learning journey. So that is using it for a positive outcome um, versus like 
uh, if Facebook is manipulating the newsfeed to shape what it shows you to make you feel good or to make you feel bad. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's something that's very much neglected. And and it's interesting because I, I'm reading D Design for Your Life and yeah. you wrote the perfect companion for that because they're almost intertwined because emotions yeah. are so, it's part of our life. I mean, you know, everything from the that and first annoyance when that alarm goes off in the morning to you know that cup, the joy from that cup of coffee, and then while you're doing that in the design for life, you're opening Facebook, and oh, Facebook, you know, popped up something that affected yeah. you emotionally, and yeah, yeah, it, and you know, you obviously are an expert because you have a book on this topic. You wrote a book yeah. on this topic. So what was that? What was it like actually? What's writing that book and working with uh, a book apart and everything? It's one thing I've, I wanted to ask Eric Meyer when we had him on the show, but I'm curious what the experience is like working with them. You know, working on books is, um, uh, it's, uh, it's hell to write and it's heaven to publish. Uh, yeah. Uh, someone described it to me as like you're driving through a tunnel, like a really, really, really long tunnel. And it's so dark for such a long time. And you, you can't even remember what the sunlight looked like. And you think, I'm never going to get out of this tunnel. And then one day you come out and there's the sunshine everywhere and you're out of the tunnel. And it just popped up from nowhere. Um, the thing about a book is that you're writing and you don't even know if it's, um, is this useful to anyone? Is this, am I just kind of blathering on? Yeah, you got an editor who helps. And um, <laughs> I, I do think that an editor is worth worth her weight in gold to, to get someone who's really um, good at it. Um, I, they surgically removed like 5,500 <laughs> words from my oh, book. Wow. And <laughs> not, not like, let's take, take a passage, but like word, word, word to just tighten it up. I mean, the, a book apart folks are, they are so precise and so good and detail oriented. That's why those books are easy to read and yes. um, they're so good. Um, but yeah, writing a book is, is hard work and, but it, it is satisfying to, to make a thing that it, there's so many things in our life where it's all short view of like, I made dinner and I'm going to enjoy it right now. Or, um, I, I, I don't know, made, made some, some thing in my house that I'll enjoy for the next week. Um, but to work on a thing that you will, it takes a long time to complete and you'll get to enjoy for years. Um, other people get to enjoy that's yeah. kind of a rare thing yeah I and mean, if you think about it too uh, like I have books that that I didn't originally own but I prize them greatly and they're published you know I have one from like the late 1800s that I, I love yeah. and to think of what's have, that book uh it's actually a math book it's like it's an, okay. an old math, uh algebra school book and it's amazing because it's full of yeah. illustrations on the concepts and uh, it, it's incredible. I, sh I'll, I should share it, take some pictures and share it on our yeah, Instagram. That's cool. Put it on uh, the, uh, put it in the show notes. Okay. Maybe yeah. You, maybe you could, maybe you could find it. Yeah. I, I think I know where it is. Yeah. I have a lot of books on my shelf though. <laughs> <laughs> so, I love the, yeah. uh, how, how you, um, you, you're, you're still doing a lot of publishing. I don't know if you, do you consider them books, what you're doing on, um, on design better? Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause yeah. yeah. Uh, I think you're putting them out pretty regularly. What's your uh, publishing schedule like? Yeah, so um, on designbetter.com, so uh, to, to just kind of 
catch yeah, get listeners some context up. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I work for Envision. <laughs> yeah, who do you work for? <laughs> I work for Envision. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's, it's a great place because they believe in design um, deeply and they invest in design. Um, we, we spend a lot of time um, publishing things that will help design teams um, advance their design practice uh, in the hopes that design as, as a discipline will advance in business and in the world, because we believe that design is such a critical part of um, so many important aspects of our life. It's, it's in, you know, software design is in our car, it's in our education, it's in our, you know, cancer screenings, it's in our thermostats, it's in everything. And of course, our phones, it's almost cliche to cite that we use our phones all the time, but um, <laughs> it's ubiquitous, right, in our lives these days. And so design needs to play a really critical role. In a, a report we recently published, you can find on designbetter.com. Um, my colleague, Leah Bewley, uh, who is amazing, she was the principal researcher on that. We published a lot of books. We just published one on animation and product design. We published uh, books on um, design systems, design ops, design thinking, pr uh, principles of product design, lots of different Teams. types of things. Yeah. Yeah. Like these core things, because we want people to have anchors that guide them. This is how you do it. And then all of these ideas are grounded in real world stories of how do they do it at LinkedIn? How do they do it at Twitter? How do they do it at the Home Depot or any number of companies? I love that. Do you mind if we step back a little bit and just, I'd love to know uh, for our audience that might not understand what the, um, what the relationship is of design better to envision. What, what is that? I, I mean, yeah. we understand it's like that arm, but like, what, what does that mean? Like why, what is the, what is design better? Designbetter.com is the place where envision publishes um, the best practices from the best teams in the world um, that, that guide us to better design. Um, and it is a separate brand because uh, we wanna make it clear that we're, we're sharing design practices um, to advance design as a discipline, but it's not necessarily selling Envision. I, I personally believe in Vision and Envision, I, at, at MailChimp, it changed the way we work. The reason why I joined Envision was because I was a, a, a devout customer at MailChimp. It helped us do better product design. And when I left and kind of took a sabbatical, um, I ended up talking to Clark. Uh, you might've gotten his emails, Clark from Envision. And Clark, Clark and I have known each other for years and um, he got in touch with me and, uh, did, you know. Did they use MailChimp for those? For those emails? I'm they, curious. They, they do not, they do not. Okay. Because no. that would have been awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Uh, a beautiful circle of life. Six degrees of Kevin Bacon, yeah. There you see, go. See, I was going to actually, I know you you specifically highlighted that that wasn't the intent is to um, you know, promote Envision. But I, I find it an incredible thing for a company to rather than uh, push out ads being like, hey, here's our cool products. These are awesome. To instead say, hey, let's make these useful handbooks that are that share information from these companies on how they work and how they operate. And, uh, oh, by the way, we're in vision, but we really care about sharing this knowledge. I, I mean, I find that it just, I like that a lot. I, yeah, uh, it, it's not about promoting, yeah. promoting envision. Yeah. It's, it, it really yeah. is about providing these resources. 
Yeah. Um, I, I like it too. I think it's uh, pretty admirable because I mean, we invest a lot of time and resources into publishing. Um, and they're and free, re free resources. Totally free. Yeah. yeah. You can go download that whole library for free. Um, EPUB, PDF. Yeah. And, and read all that stuff, all the video content. We have a podcast, a design better podcast with, I mean, we, uh, we talk with people like David Kelly, who co-founded IDEO and, and founded the Stanford D school. Um, uh, we talked to, uh, um, yeah, Brad Frost and Dan on the other day. Brad, Brad Frost and Dan. That was a great conversation. Those guys yeah. are awesome. Great yeah. episode. Uh, Julie Zhu from uh, who's the VP of, uh, of product yeah. design at, at Facebook. Yeah, so interesting folks. Yeah, I think she just put out a new book too. Did you guys she talk did. about her book? Yeah, we did. It's a it's a great book. What is it called? Management something. Making of a manager. Yeah, making of a manager. Yeah, I love that whole story that she had about like she like there was well well that's a different podcast but anyway but yeah it was it <laughs> we'll put a link to that episode in the uh, yeah in the show notes. that's a really good Facebook. episode yeah, yeah. everybody got to listen to it how she cool. progressed up is really neat so yeah. can you t tell us a little bit about the about the podcast where did that idea come from was that at the beginning like you know what we should also do a podcast or did that organically come up I think yeah. it started in uh, what 2017 was the first one. That's right. Yeah. So um, I believe in putting oneself in harm's way. Um, so when I was teaching, I often had people speak to my class. So I, I was a, you know, I was a college professor, not not writing, unknown, unknown guy, freelancer uh, and college professor. And I would just cold email like Jason San Maria or Jonathan Snook um, or um, you know, Gina Ann, anybody, and just say like, hey, you're doing amazing stuff. Do you think you could talk to my class by Skype for 30 minutes? And um, they would say yes. Almost every time they would say yes. So putting myself in harm's way um, of, you know, like I'm going to go ask and if it doesn't work out, eh, what, you know, there's no harm there. And my students got a great learning experience. I got a great learning experience. And I ended up making friends that way too. So the podcast is sort of a way for us to do that, where um, what's the next book? What's the, the next article? What's the next thing? Synops is a big thing right now, so let's write a book about that. Sometimes it's not obvious. So you have to find ways to put yourself in harm's way to stay connected to the zeitgeist of the industry. And the podcast is essentially that. It's a way for us to have conversations with interesting people who are doing cool things. We can learn from them. Um, we can tell the stories. Um, it's not always Julie Zoos and David Kelly. Sometimes it's uh, T.S. Balaji who works for Log Me In. And most people don't know his name, but he's super sharp and he's solving interesting problems. Uh, could we, can we elevate that story so other people could see that and learn from that? So the podcast serves um, multiple things. It's, it's uh, a way for us to learn, stay connected to what's happening, and also tell the stories that are untold. I love that. Yeah, we try to do uh, a similar thing where we really get to know the people behind the technology, as you heard in the intro. But we, we want to know a little bit about not just about uh, the, the tech or the design, but like their their stories of how they came up in the industry or uh, what interesting things they're working on. And yeah, I love that about podcasts. There's there's so much that you could um, get and that comes up from these kinds of conversations organically. Yeah. Yeah, podcasting is fun.
Yeah. And gosh, you've been doing it for a long time now too. So that's, that's great. I, yeah, it's a really excellent show and we'll obviously put a link to uh, all those on there too. And you're also speaking uh, around the world as well. And uh, your next gig, I believe is going to be at uh, an event apart, right? That's right. Yeah. Um, I, uh, I'm headed to DC for an event apart. Um, I've worked with Jeffrey and Eric. Um, uh, an event apart, right? For, for a very long time. That weird echo delay there. Uh, yeah, I heard my uh, voice and I went, ugh. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm headed to DC in a couple weeks. So um, always great to work with those guys. That's yeah, cool. Do you mind if we um, uh, just touch briefly on uh, what, what you're going to be talking about? I, I have it here. It's leveling up your design communications. Is, can we yeah. like just kind of uh, tease a little bit for the get people yeah, yeah. interested in uh, coming in? Yeah, um, I hope if you are coming to DC, please come say hi. Um, so I'm gonna be talking about how we talk about design, um, which is a, a little bit meta, but um, what increasingly we see um, designers need are skill communication skills. So craft-wise, um, we've had that unlocked for quite some time. We're figuring out a lot of things, uh, design systems and, um, you know, how to, how to work efficiently, but um, things that we are missing is how do we get away from our computer and talk about our work? How do we get more people involved in the work? How do we get the right types of feedback? Um, how do we turn design from a solid, solitary, I'm on an island experience to uh, a multi-person participatory collaboration sort of experience? because products and companies are only getting more complicated. And the notion of the solitary designer is uh, becoming a lot less common. And people whose uh, careers I see really skyrocket and go great places, they tend to have this figured out. They know how to build partnerships, they know how to um, talk about their work and not just in terms of like kerning, letting, um, you know, color systems and so forth. They can also talk about how it ladders up to broader business objectives. How does it reduce churn? Um, you know, how does it improve onboarding experiences? Those sorts of things. So I want to talk about that. I want to provide some concrete guidance of this is how that should work. Um, and this is what it'll do for your career. Can you give us uh, one or two uh, little tidbits of uh, samples from from it? Sure, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> so design reviews, for example, I, I think are something that um, are, are often done very poorly. Um, people basically complete some work and, and then um, schedule some time and get a bunch of people together and put some work up and say, what do you think? Um, that's not very productive. That leads to a lot of like opinion-based conversation, which can pull you in lots of different directions. Mm. And um, it tends to not be very productive. So who's in the room, how the conversation is framed, how the conversation is moderated, being clear about what you need from that conversation. Um, all of those things are very important. Um, so having a moderator, for example, someone who says, Here's the work that um, Aaron is presenting. 
And um, he's working on this to solve this business objective. And we're focused today just on X, Y, Z. So that's what we really want to try to see here. Uh, designers often do this thing where they want to like explain and tell and pitch. And it basically steals everyone's fresh eyes that they bring to the conversation. So one thing that we need to do is basically learn how to frame it and then shut the hell up and let um, others look at it from that perspective and get those fresh eyes on our work. Well, oh, that was nice. Yeah, yeah, that's definitely something that I feel even where I work now, we, we can definitely, uh, I like the idea of, we have big, we have design critiques of having con greater context provided in each item that, that's being presented. I, I like that idea. I mean, we may incorporate that some more. Um, so you, you've done a few talks, haven't you? This isn't your, your first, your first time presenting. What, what? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've been, I've, yeah, I presented so, a couple times. Yeah, a bunch of times. Yeah. So I'm curious, what is this? Is a question we've asked a bunch of times at uh, you know other conferences we've been to where we interview speakers. What's your uh, lead up to building the talk? How much time have you put into it? Uh, uh, are are you the type that the day before you're still tweaking slides? Uh, sometimes, but mainly to to try to tune it for the audience and like exercise of of keeping myself closely connected to the material so it feels um you know fresh in my mind but i mean making a talk takes a long long time and i i actually learned jeffrey zeldman gave me my first opportunity back in 2008 invited me to speak at an event apart in new orleans and i was speaking with like andy oh, clark wow. and jeff veen and zeldman and eric meyer and uh molly holschlag and like I mean, it was just like an insane all-star group. And um, I threw up before I went on stage because I was just oh, like, wow. this is, this is awesome. a rough lineup. Uh, just like yeah. all these people I've admired. So um, yeah, that's what I was gonna ask you next was what have you had anything like that that has happened? Uh, Cause I knew you, I know, know you've done a lot of talks. So have you had moments like you, where you had some crazy snafu or something like that? And then throwing up right before yeah, that, that must've been rough going on stage after that. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is like throwing up, it just like brings such focus. <laughs> so it's probably a good thing. Uh, I, I don't throw up anymore, but, um, yeah, I'm, I, I think that, uh, so preparing a talk takes a long time. I put a lot of time and energy into the narrative. Um, I put a lot of time and energy into making it practical where people can walk away with something that they can use. It's not just theoretical. Um, and I also put a lot of time in trying to make the, the talk a little entertaining or kind of beautiful and interesting. Um, because it's, a, you know, it's kind of a lot to ask a person to sit there for 45 minutes and pay attention to what you have to say. It's a little self-indulgent. Um, also you got to try to keep their attention. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. There's, there's a, there's a function to it, but, um, so learning from the, an event apart circuit, I was, uh, there was a group of us that went on pretty much every, an event apart for a couple years. And it was almost like we were a band, you know, where <laughs> you guys I, are touring. I see it. See in Seattle, see in uh, you know Austin, see in San Francisco, whatever. And it was when responsive design was introduced. Mm -hmm. It was when uh, Luke introduced mobile first, and it was when um, Christina Halverson introduced um, content strategy. It was like 
that that year the same show in seattle what an age that's like yeah. uh, the all-stars then yeah it was just like one one show where it all just kind of unfolded and uh i remember sitting in the green room and everyone being like whoa that's that's heavy this this could be really big <laughs> that's so cool uh, and you're doing that now kind of too right aren't you aren't you doing a few of these yeah i do a couple of uh, an events apart um yeah so a lot of my the, the stuff that i do these days as i alluded to is around teams and uh design leadership and management things and that's a little um it doesn't always align with what an event apart attendees need they want like specific tactics of like coding and and um you know they're, they're makers and they want guidance on on making things and i still make things but not as much so um, I speak at a lot of, uh, I was just at leading design, Andy Bud's conference. Um, oh, I was yeah. in New York. So, and also interesting people, uh, people like, uh, Steve Johnson and Rochelle King who lead design at Netflix and, um, yeah, lots, lots of interesting people there. That's so cool. You know what I want to ask you, and I know we're getting short on time, but I, I feel bad if I didn't ask this question and, uh, cause this was a audience question that a few people asked me is, what does a VP of design education do? So what what exactly do you do at Envision? In one sentence. In one sentence. <laughs> Not in one sentence. In a, in a uh, haiku. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah. high level, it, it boils down to um, studying what leads to success in design teams um, and then communicating that out. Uh, more, more kind of lower level day to day, there's a lot of, um, you know, managing what we're going to publish, um, finding our next book, next book author, the next topic. Um, there's a lot of speaking and traveling. So sometimes I, I so tomorrow I'm going to speak to a, a large company uh, remotely. Um, sometimes I'm in person. I just gave a, a big talk to Fjord, um, writing about these things as well. We publish on Medium recording the podcast. So publishing on many different platforms and many different channels about how design works. And then all of that research um, that that leads to that. There's some people management stuff too. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of that. Did you ever find it uh, difficult to uh, like make a uh, make a transition went back in the day from um, an individual contributor to more of like a, a design lead or a, like a lead in, in general as, as far as not being able to produce a product every day and say, this is what I did or instead of being like, I'm, I'm just I'm working on strategy. A lot of people have yeah. that problem when they move yeah. to that role. Yeah, I did. I did struggle with that. Um, uh, it's a thousand cuts that lead up to that where, you know, you're doing a little bit of less, little, little bit less um, at your keyboard and a little bit more at the conference table. Um, and I did get to a point where I kind of felt like I wasn't making anymore. And I, I do enjoy, I, I, I said painting, right? I'm a, I'm a painter at, at, at heart. I don't paint today, but Painting is all about making a thing and putting that into the world. And there's something magical and satisfying about that. Uh, when I was painting, the best moment of the day was the moment I woke up and remembered I made a thing and it's over there and I need to go look at that again and, and reconnect with that. And um, I feel like that's, for me, I can get that in so many different places. 
Uh, today I can get that from like growing things in my garden. Um, but in my work, I also still need to make things. And a lot of times it's writing these days. I get a lot out of that. Speaking um, is also a, a way that I get that. Now you're you're still creating and and producing. It's just a different type. It's a I mean that's that's what yeah. barrels down to. And yeah, of it being a designer, you're designing a system. Uh, you're you're you know writing like you said. You're making talks. So uh, it, it's it's an it, it interesting transition in life for sure. And I, I liked your perspective on on that and what it, how you struggled. And I love that painting example. That's that's. Perfect. There's something that you go back to and yeah. look at it. Um, like, yeah, de design isn't, uh, sorry, just last thing. Design ahead. isn't about something that's always something that you could show off on uh, Dribble, for example. It's sometimes, uh, okay. yeah, a lot of times it's about ideas. That's true. Yeah, Brian. Yeah. Yeah. All I was going to say is I want to, I really want to try and get a few at least lightning questions in because I really like, uh, okay. like Frederick said, our thing is about game behind the person a little bit and getting to know, know you a little bit beyond, you know, your public persona. So what we're going to do is we're going to each ask uh, some quick questions. Um, it's just a quick answer. Then we'll ask you another one. Be super fast. So like lightning. Cool. Uh, Let's do it. I'll, I'll go first. So what's one pet peeve of yours that you wish that you could get rid of? Um, that, that I exhibit? Uh, just a pet peeve in general. Um. Like example, uh, crinkly potato chip bags. I, I really hate that. Yeah, um, I wish hotel rooms had proper lighting. That's a good one. Yeah. 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 What do you like to do when you have downtime? Um, I like to uh, work in my garden. I have an aquaponics system. I have a mushroom farm, and I have chickens. Chickens, oh. nice. Yeah. I like to. I like to grow my own food. What was oh, your? Oh, that's uh, so cool. What was your favorite fairy tale growing up? Favorite fairy tale? Um, well, uh, it's not really a fairy tale, but fantasy. Uh, when I read The Hobbit in seventh grade, I walked into walls because I was, you know, it was like the book was glued to my hands. You must be very happy now. <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, what's one of the things that um, that you? Um, uh, like doing now uh, professionally, that's maybe uh, not exactly what you do all the time at your work, like a more of a, a thing that you like as like a hobby. Like, do you make any kind of uh, music or anything like that? Or um, I don't make like a side kind of project thing. Do you have anything like that? Um, I make a damn good pickle. Oh, yeah. Tell me about this pickle. No, Frederick. What? <laughs> What? <laughs> he makes a good pickle when he's here. Later. Later, Frederick. All right. All right. <laughs> what fact amazes you every time you think of it? I missed the first part. What fact amazes you every time you think of it? Um, how uh, soon we will be, uh, we will hit the two degree mark uh, and our climate will be broken forever. Ugh. Yeah, that's pretty sad. <laughs> we got real there for a minute. Uh, Eric. Aaron, oil paints or acrylic? Oil. Oil. Got that linseed oil going. Boom. Mm -hmm. If Mars was livable, would you accept a one-way ticket there? Yes. If it Favorite had an atmosphere. You, you never know. Favorite cartoon as a kid? Dungeons oh, and Dragons. Nice. Classic. 
How, how did you find out that Santa wasn't real? Um, my mom told me in our living room when I was six, oh. and I was crushed. Oh, that's awful. That's a little too young, I think. It was brutal. Yeah. It was Aaron, awful. you come home. It's one in the morning. You open the door real slow, and there's a ghost. What do you do? Start up a conversation. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. <laughs> Perfect. All right, Brian, are we at the end of these? Yeah, yeah. So um, do you have any – we like to ask our listeners – or not our listeners, our guests. <laughs> do you have any uh, final words for the audience, some, uh, some words of wisdom, so to speak? Whatever you want to achieve, whatever you want to do, like if you want to live a certain life, I think one, uh, be intentional about the life that you want to live um, and, and set clear goals to, to get there. And then two, just outlearn everybody else. That is how people become successful is that they outlearn everybody else. Um, every CEO I've ever known, every successful, like hyper successful person. They read like crazy, and it doesn't have to be that you read a book. You could listen to audiobooks, podcasts, like just outlearn everybody else. Leave them in the dust. Wow, that's really powerful. Okay. I love that. Do you follow that? I do. I mean, I'm always, I'm always learning a thing. Uh, have you ever had Luke Rablewski on your show? No, not yet. That guy is a machine. And I, I asked him one day, I was like, how do you publish everything and build everything and start all these companies and do all the work you do? And he says, I don't watch TV. Yeah, he's he, just working. He's, he's just, it's not only that he's working, he's always learning. He's always just curious. He's always out learning everybody else. I love that. That's so amazing. We'll, we'll definitely have him on and we'll talk to him about that. Definitely should. He's yeah. A sharp dude. Aaron, thank you so much. And lastly, what's the uh, best way people could get a hold of you? Obviously, your website, which is AaronWalter.com, uh, Twitter, just Aaron, A-A-R-R-O-N. That's Any right. Two A's people? and two R's because my dad misspelled my name at the hospital. Is oh, that really? Is that the is that That's story? true. True story. Oh, wow. I love the way you spell your name. I've never seen it like that before. I think it's very unique. Yeah. It so I'm just Aaron on Twitter. It must have been a nightmare growing up, though, having teachers everyone spells it wrong oh <laughs> growing up it's every day <laughs> yeah, yeah. it's like every other email in my inbox that's uh, so cool well at least you know who the spam is because you can see if it's spelled wrong delete that's true that's true but if people want to learn more um i would invite you to visit designbetter.com oh yes absolutely yeah go to design better listen to the podcast read a ton of free material it's just amazing how many resources there are uh, and published constantly. I, my inbox is always like, hey, there's a new podcast. Here's a new uh, 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 thing. I got a new thing just uh, today that was like, hey, I think it was about teams, building teams, right? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. Um, Josh Olm, who's now um, yeah. head of design at uh, Wells Fargo. Yeah, that's so cool. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, Aaron, hey, man, super, super honored to have you on the show. Thank you so much and thank you spending some time with us and uh, yeah, helping us out in our audience uh, with some really great takeaways here. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I appreciate you spending uh, this evening with us. Thanks for coming on. My pleasure. And thanks everybody for watching. Please subscribe. Go to the uh, YouTube link, hit subscribe. We'd really uh, honestly appreciate it. Thanks everyone. Take care. Until next time.
Thanks for consuming the Thunder Nerds. We honestly and sincerely appreciate you watching and or listening to the show. Please subscribe on YouTube and iTunes. Write us a review. Kick a few stars our way. And above all else, please remember to send your favorite book suggestions to Brian Hinton. I, I like romance novels. They have happy endings. I should have known the Terrator didn't mean us any harm when the Sword of Omens didn't obey me. And anyway, it was just plain stupid to assume it might be bad. Just what the <laughs> fuck am I talking about?